Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm privileged to welcome a very, very accomplished lawyer from Bangalore, Chennai, India, Vijay Sambamurthy. Vijay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ashutosh. Hi, everybody. Delighted to be here. Thank you. Uh, Vijay is the founder and managing partner of Lexigen Law. He has been recognized and felicitated several times. So Vijay, let's start talking about Lexigen and the legal profession. Tell me about some of your highlights uh, in your early career as a lawyer. Sure. So yes, uh, I will talk about uh, Lexigen uh, along the journey, Ashutosh. Uh, you know, uh, it's a firm I set up, it's a law firm I set up 15 years ago. Uh, but my career began a little um, earlier than that, in the mid-90s. Um, you know, I was fortunate to go to and graduate from the National Law School, Bangalore, mm-hmm. which, as you may be aware, is a very, very uh, you know, good law schools. It is indeed. And I was uh, privileged to have uh, had the opportunity to go there. And so I graduated in the mid-90s, uh, 1997 or thereabouts. And, uh, you know, I went to work in Bombay, uh, which was and continues to be one of the, you know, uh, best places to start your career mm-hmm. uh, for many professions and certainly for the legal profession. Okay. So I started my career uh, at a firm called Mullah & Mullah, which is one of the you know, oldest law firms in India. Oh. It was started in the you know, British era by British people and by some Indian uh, people. So I started my career there. I, you know, was fortunate to get to work on some of the very, very uh, interesting and path-breaking uh, projects and transactions of that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as, um, uh, as many of us know, the mid-90s and late 90s and early 2000s were a very revolutionary period in India's economic history. Because while the liberalization happened in early 90s, uh, the liberalization reforms really took off in the late 90s and in the early 2000s. So uh, what that meant for uh, me as a transactional lawyer was there were lots and lots of uncharted territories to cover. Mm -hmm. Uh, Indian companies were embarking on a very exciting phase of growth. Uh, and the Indian government, too, was embarking on a very new uh, approach uh, to the Indian economy. And so we were all, you know, uh, in different uh, aspects, different parts of the uh, ecosystem. Uh, we were all learning, mm-hmm. right? I mean, uh, it was a very, very exciting phase because even, um, you know, experienced lawyers were on par with youngsters then like me. Uh, because, you know, while they may have had 20, 30 years of experience, liberalization put us all back in sort of an even keel. Very interesting. So it made us very, very, uh, you know, it, it made us all, uh, you know, very eager learners. So it was a wonderful time to begin a career as a, as a transactional lawyer. And, uh, you know, uh, Mullah and Mullah, I had the fortune of working with uh, Mr. E.A.K. Faisal Boy and Mr. Ravi Krishnamurti, two of the partners there who did some very, very uh, path-breaking work. So, um, you know, I had some very interesting exposure there. And so why don't you tell me about, about some of your, you know, very interesting or iconic cases? 
Sure. So, uh, you know, one of the iconic cases that I worked on but did not lead was early on in my career, which was literally one year after I started my career. I was, uh, you know, staffed on the Indian Oil Corporation's disinvestment deal when I was working at Mullah and Mullah. Uh, that process was, uh, you know, very exciting because we were the government was planning to, you know, do a GDR listing mm-hmm. um, and to, you know, uh, divest. But unfortunately, despite almost working on it for a year, that transaction did not go through. But of course, over the uh, course of my twenty-four-year-old uh, career, I've had the honor of, you know, leading subsequently several very interesting transactions. First one I can mention is. Uh, the first large private equity transaction in India. This was when I had, uh, you know, joined and you know started leading the private equity practice at this uh, firm called Mission Desai Associates, uh, which I moved to from Mullah and Mullah. So in the early 2000s, I had the pleasure of, uh, you know, working on first large. This was uh, General Atlantic's hundred million dollar investment in Putney Computers, which was like a you know, hundred million dollars. May sound like nothing today, but it was a Lost some of money in those days, oh. as you will recall. Uh, it felt very good when I saw my deal reported on the you know top headline of Economic Times, and it was like a very proud moment. Uh, especially, I was I must have been all of twenty six years old then when I led this deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I'm talking about: uh, being fortunate to have been uh, a, a, you know transactional lawyer, because we were thrown into the pool and told to swim. And many of us uh, managed to stay afloat. So tell me, when you were doing so well, what was the reason to start Lexigen Law? Okay, uh, that's a great question. Uh, in fact, uh, very often I get asked that question. Uh, I think I was doing quite uh, well at Nishad Desai Associates. So I had, I loved the firm. I had a wonderful rapport with, uh, you know, with uh, you know Nishad, and I, I and also with the others in the firm. So it was a very very warm relationship. Uh, so there was no, uh, uh, you know, reason for me to leave as such. Uh, but the primary reason I decided to move on was that I had several ideas about, you know, how the firm should be run and how it should be built. And at some stage, uh, you know, I heard this voice telling me inside my head that if I had all these ideas and if I wanted them imp- implemented, mm-hmm. I should put my money and risk where my ideas were. So I said, you know, the only way to do that is to put your own money at risk and start up. Okay. So that's that's how the Lexigen journey began. And it was in 2006 when it happened. And uh, we just completed 15 years as Lexigen this year. Wow. And tell me about some of the cases, uh, you know, the interesting cases or maybe one or two of them that you've handled at Lexigen. At Lexigen, okay. So I think one thing I'll definitely talk about is we have this very complicated uh, transaction where uh, we, uh, I'm not going to take the name of the company, sure, sure. but uh, we represented a consortium of uh, private equity investors mm-hmm. led by Morgan Stanley, and it had others like General Atlantic, Goldman Sachs, Everstone, and so on. So uh, it was a consortium of about six PE investors, and we represented them on a you know four twenty five million dollars uh, investment uh, in a company which is in the uh, power generation business. So uh, at that time, and for a long time thereafter, it was the largest uh, deal in the uh, in the power generation space. But apart from being the largest, the, the real point is that it was a very complex deal because we uh, had to first 
structurally figure out a way to unwind several of the legacy transactions. You know, very often what happens, Ashutosh, is in these kind of companies, they have raised financing over a period of time from multiple sources and different types of financing. Mm. So there are some, you know, debt, uh, in, you know, there are some debt investors, there's some equity investors, some with some special rights, warrant holders, and so on. Mm. So, and, and it was a cross-border transaction because the holding company was in uh, Singapore, which of course is a very standard thing these days, but in those days, it was not all too common and well understood. So uh, we had a lot of multiple negotiations with stakeholders at different different levels. So this is one uh, transaction which I'll definitely name. The other was, uh, you know, I talked about GA's uh, investment and Putney being my one of my first private equity uh, hits transactions, right? Uh, ultimately, uh, the Putney journey ended for me when I advised on their exit transaction mm-hmm. uh, as a part of, uh, you know, Lexigen. So okay. we... We advised Carlyle and Advent, who are two top P uh, funds in the world. Uh, we advised a consortium comprising of Ad- uh, Carlyle and Advent on their bid for Putney Computers. It was a very hotly contested bid. Uh, you know, anybody who followed the newspapers in those days in 2011 uh, would have, um, you know, kept pace with this. Mm-hmm. It was a very hotly contested race. Um, ultimately, we uh, our consortium decided to opt out of the bidding at the nth hour. Uh, but we uh, pretty much uh, put together a lot of work, including conducting due diligence on a, on a on a company that was, you know, listed not just in India but also in the U.S. And we did the documentation for, uh, you know, the both the sale agreements and also we needed to do an open offer in India under the SEBI guidelines under the SEBI takeover code. Plus, we needed to make you know requisite filings with uh, the U.S. SEC. So we did a lot of very, very cutting edge work and in a very, very short uh, span of time because of the competitive nature of the deal. This is a one and a half billion dollar deal. Uh, so this is again a very, very uh, big uh, so I'd deal. Like, I'd like to move on and uh, talk a little bit about the legal system in our country. Mm-hmm. And it has often been said, justice delayed is justice denied. Uh, you know, courts take forever. You know, any, any, and I can't think of anyone who doesn't have some matter stuck somewhere, you know, civil case, small case, you know, but something is stuck. In. Yeah. What are your thoughts on speeding up the system of justice in our country? Sure. So I'll start by saying I couldn't agree with you more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's, a, I don't think anybody can argue with that. It is a huge problem in our country. Mm-hmm. In fact, on a lighter note, I'll say this. When I went to law school, I originally wanted to be a litigator, it was my dream. I did a couple of internships with, uh, you know, litigators, and it completely uh, disheartened me and disillusioned me and put me away from litigation. So, uh, but having said that, it is a very important uh, cog of the justice delivery system, the courts, Mm -hmm. uh, the most important part. And unfortunately, the Indian courts have been hugely burdened with uh, backlog. Mm-hmm. So I think there is no simple answer to your question, Ashutosh. If there was a simple answer, I think India would have fixed it by now. Mm-hmm. But having said that, we need to continue to take all the efforts. I think there are efforts being made, but they are not fast enough and they are not committed enough, in my view. I think we need. So for starters, we need to have very good technology. I think all the courts need to embrace technology. So the pandemic uh, has pushed, like everybody else, it has also pushed the courts. Uh, to consider technology seriously. But I think, uh, you know, I think it is up to the judicial administrators now 
to make it count and say that because of the pandemic, whatever we were forced to do, now let's make it institutionalized and do this in a systematic way such that technology is a, a very, very, uh, uh, you know, inherent part of the justice administration system. Mm. The second is, I would say, we need more judges. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's that's a no-brainer. I think all the judges are very, very, uh, you know, heavily overworked and overburdened. So we definitely need to hire more judges uh, on, on a regular basis. We need a system that produces quality judges. We need good judicial training academies. We do have them, but we need a lot more of the judicial training academies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and lastly, Ashutosh, I think Indians as a people, we need to improve our mindset. We need to uh, focus on, uh, you know, how to speed things up instead of how to delay things. Mm-hmm. Uh, historically, our legal profession has acquired a bit of a bit, uh, bad reputation, primarily because of some bad apples who focus their strategies around delaying you know, litigation and protracting them. Right. I, I think the mindset needs to change. We need to focus more on uh, you know, um, improving the justice delivery system. Lastly, I think more of the commercial disputes, if they can shift, be shift, shifted away to alternative uh, dispute resolution mechanisms like arbitration and mediation, I think that will also take the bur- uh, you know, burden off the courts so that the courts can focus on the more important and serious matters that determine the uh, judicial and you know, uh, other constitutional and other matters which are important from the country's perspective. Very interesting. You know, so, uh, as far as the pandemic is concerned, and you spoke about it, I have been seeing uh, you know, video conferencing is, has made, I think, the justice system much more efficient. I'm just wondering whether you you see going back to courts in physical format mm-hmm. really something that will happen completely, or will you do you think it will continue to have uh, you know half half of partly video, partly uh, in, in so it's a uh, you know uh, you know Ashutosh that question is very analogous to the same question that is asked of other industries, which is are you going to continue work from home? On a permanent basis or not, right? It's a very similar kind of a question for the mm. for the for the courts as well. I think the courts. My my view is that the courts have been presented with an opportunity. They've been presented with an eye opener. I think all of us have been mm. presented with an eye opener on how else we could be doing business just as efficiently or even more efficiently in some cases, right? So I think the courts are a classic example of that. But having said that, the entire experience hasn't necessarily been very smooth with the pandemic. Okay. In the sense that there, you know, there are several instances where, uh, you know, b- you know, uh, bandwidth is a huge problem, right? Some several parts of the country doesn't have adequate uh, or reliable internet bandwidth, so that needs to be fixed. But uh, it has definitely shown us, a de- you know, that we need to go in this direction. We need to invest in technology. We need to encourage people to do more remote hearings. So whether the courts will actually do so on a permanent basis, my uh, get you know my, I don't want to take a guess on that, but my hope is that they will. My hope is that they'll embrace this. But what I more practically see is that just as I say, with you know, I was recently on a panel on whether work from home is going to continue. <laughs> uh, you know, with the whole gig economy uh, getting more pronounced during the pandemic, and what I said there holds here as well, which is I think we are going to move into a sort of a hybrid world where some things are going to happen in uh, in uh, physical format and some things are going to be permitted to happen in remote format. So we definitely need to uh, move in that direction. And I hope that 
the uh, you know court administrations uh, you know seriously consider that very interesting so, 20 25 years that you have been working as a lawyer how have you seen the legal uh, system change and evolve over the years okay well that's a great question so when i started like i said uh, my original goal was to be a litigator because that's all we knew right mm-hmm. we, we i mean i uh, you know i was asked in my national law school interview by the director of national law school why do you want to become a lawyer mm-hmm. uh, and i remember telling him full of earnestness that i want to be like very mason right mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's that's our that's our world view of what lawyers should be and what lawyers are like mm-hmm. uh, but uh when i you know was in doing my internships i figured that litigation can be it is great it is highly intellectually challenging mm-hmm. uh but at the same time it can be very frustrating because there's a lot of uh you know wastage of time there is no consideration for people's time a mm-hmm. uh, very inefficient way of doing things which put me off quite a bit so uh so what I, where i'm going with this is that the legal profession was a lot uh less structured when i started my career mm-hmm. 25 years ago uh there were very there were law firms indeed but there were f- very few and they were very small so you know the largest firm in the country would have been maybe 50 lawyers back then right which is tiny today the largest firm in the lawyer uh, largest uh, firm in the country is probably uh, approaching you know 800 lawyers so it's a uh, so, so that is a numbers game but that numbers game is reflective of a fundamental change in the profession which is i think we have all uh, embraced functioning in a slightly more institutional manner um, i mean i don't want to claim that we have arrived we have not we have a lot that we can still achieve as a profession in terms of uh, reforms uh, there are many things we should and can do in terms of how we can treat our people better how we can uh, you know uh, provide our services in a better manner and we are all working towards this, uh, towards it but i do think that the institutional uh, structure has come in that's number one mm-hmm. number two the size of the industry has grown mm-hmm. right i mean back in the early 90s uh, to mid 90s when i started my career it was still a very very tiny it, uh, industry and now the size of the industry has become huge mm-hmm. uh, thirdly the quality of legal education has gone up tremendously which has had a positive impact on the industry Uh, but the flip side to this is that there has been a mushrooming of law schools so i sometimes worry uh, you know how it will affect the you know employability of many lawyers that graduate i i fear that we may end up in a scenario where we had this boom of engineers and doctors uh, who couldn't get employed beyond a point we may be heading towards that direction uh, when the law firm industry but maybe not yet that's but technology is going to push us in that direction for sure amazing <laughs> So Vijay uh, I'm now going to go to the next segment of our conversation uh, which is a few questions for you personally sure. all our viewers and guests love to uh, get to know uh, our guest a little more uh, I have time for two maybe three questions sure. so let me first start with saying that as a lawyer who's so well recognized established what are some of the core values you believe in okay okay the first one according to me undoubtedly the first one has to be integrity and trust mm-hmm. i think a lawyer is nothing without them uh, i think a lawyer who doesn't uh, you know 
aspire to have the highest levels of integrity and win the highest levels of trust from their clients mm. and not just from their clients but from society i think a lawyer uh, who does that uh, doesn't do these things will not go very far in my view mm. i don't even view integrity and trust as uh, essentially some noble things that give you a halo over your head mm-hmm. i think integrity and trust are practically uh, also very important things to have mm-hmm. if you don't this is a this is a uh, you know trust based business or a profession right so in this uh, in this you cannot you cannot get clients or you cannot get the respect of your clients or your people uh, or judges or regulators if they don't see you as extremely uh, you know integri- uh, you know trustworthy and with uh, filled with integrity so that's number one for sure okay. number two is hard work and meticulousness i very often tell um, my colleagues at lexogen that you know 99% of the time or maybe 99.9% of the time we are not paid to be geniuses right we are not paid to be uh, creating some very innovative structure or innovative solution or innovative argument or innovative negotiation strategy that's in, that's important but 99% of the time what we are paid for is meticulousness people pay lawyers so much money because first and foremost they want to make sure that the lawyers take care mm-hmm. of drafting the right way they don't miss a detail they don't miss a date that is important they don't miss a sequence so the attention to detail and the meticulousness and the willingness to put in the hard hours our, our profession is a very very uh, you know hard working one it is not for the faint of heart it is not for those who cannot burn the midnight oil mm. and it is it is a very difficult profession but it it comes with its rewards mm. so therefore it is that's the second value hard work and meticulousness mm-hmm. uh, the third one of course is uh, i think that you have to be very well uh, informed generally mm-hmm. right so this is again something i have uh, told my colleagues both at lexogen and at other firms that i have been part of that don't think of specialism as uh, saying that this is all i know about and i know everything about this mm-hmm. specialism means i know a little bit about everything else but about this i know everything there is to know correct or at least close to i don't think perfection exists mm-hmm. but uh, you know specialists have to know a lot about one particular area but they also have to know a lot about everything else it helps so as a transactional lawyer if i say that i don't understand litigation i'm often at uh, a handicap in a negotiation mm. if i'm negotiating an agreement and i don't know about you know what is the appropriate dispute resolution clause to put in an agreement or uh, is is somebody likely to get out of a closing mm-hmm. by using a company secretarial uh, trick mm-hmm. right so many lawyers have this snobbish attitude that i'm a transactional lawyer i will not focus on you know drafting board resolutions and stuff like that i think that's a bad attitude i think if you have to get your hands dirty and do the work that means everything that is required to get the deal done mm. you know you draft the resolutions so even today after 25 years for my closings if i have to review a board resolution i do it if i don't find something drafted appropriately i i sit down and change it so i think that is very important uh, as a value uh, you know we always say there is no glam work and there is no lousy work mm. if you have taken on paid work you have to do it with the same level of detail so that's the third one and the last one i would say is uh, you know be be appreciative of what life and your career has given you mm-hmm. i think that is an extremely important thing 
it is very bothersome to me today to see many people not being appreciative enough of what they are getting right today the legal profession has evolved to the extent where uh, you know uh, a top uh, law firm like for for example our firm pays a fresher lawyer who straight out of law school 1.25 lakhs a month which is about 15 lakhs a year oh, plus, yes. plus bonuses that's a lot of money right today that is still uh, so my point is we gladly pay that for the talent but my point is you need to understand as young lawyers uh, that you can't take these things for granted it is a very special opportunity you are getting to be in this profession be in these uh, circles and you have to make it count right mm-hmm. just like i felt very grateful to have been uh, a graduating lawyer in the early days of india's liberalization i'm forever grateful for that and and it has helped me because i understand the value of what we what i have been able to achieve with that similarly it's very important for young lawyers to understand and value what they have been given very interesting vijay thank you so much it has been such a pleasure and a privilege speaking to you thank you for taking me down your journey talking to me about the legal system in india talking about what could potentially be done to yeah. improve the legal system thank you again and good luck it has been my pleasure ashutosh and lovely chatting with you and uh, i must say that uh, you know i'm a huge fan of the uh, you know tbc cy series that you are hosting and thank you again for having me here it's been a pleasure thank you so much thank you for listening to the brand called you video cast and podcast a platform that brings you knowledge experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals you can also follow us on youtube facebook instagram and twitter just search for the brand called you